Harvard's endowment is valued at over $40 billion, the largest of any institution of higher education in the world. To put this sum into perspective, it equates to buying almost 50 Mona Lisas, or the 12 richest teams in the NBA, or rebuilding the White House 400 times. But what does Harvard actually invest its endowment in today? In episode one, we explored Harvard's potential financial ties to slavery. Recently, the university has sparked outreach from activist groups over their investments in the prison industrial complex. Some of their allegations include that the prison industry is a descendant of slavery in the United States. Today, we're going to explore Harvard's financial ties to the prison industry and the implications that holds for the university. From the Harvard Crimson, this is A Legacy Review. First, we'll be speaking with Bianca Tylik, Executive Director of Worth Rises, a nonprofit organization dedicated to, quote, dismantling the prison industry and ending the exploitation of those it touches. Thank you so much for joining us, Bianca. So, starting off, what does it mean to have colleges and universities investing in the prison industry? Any financial institutions related to education should never be invested in prisons and jails because prisons and jails are a marker of the failure of our educational system in many, many ways. They're a repercussion of, of the lack of support and resources in so many aspects of our communities, from education to housing to healthcare to mental health, substance abuse treatment. Prisons and jails are a response to all of those gaps. And are institutions that are seeking to essentially be emblems in our society of advancement, of innovation, of thought leadership should not at the same time be profiting off of the incarceration of people. So in 2015, Columbia University became the first college in the U.S. to divest from private prisons. So it's not in a way unprecedented for institutions of higher education to be divesting. I think every university still has some road to go in terms of fully divesting from the prison industry, but divesting from private prisons is a meaningful start, and the organizers there worked incredibly hard and smart to get that done. That particular win at Columbia has sparked and ignited interest in many student organizers around the country around specifically divesting their schools, but it's also not just universities that were inspired by this, but also city governments. New York City became the first city to divest its entire pension from private prisons about two years later, and New York State followed. So you started to see that type of institutional divestment encouraged in other places. A spokesperson for the university and Harvard management company declined to comment on the record for this episode. Next, we're joined by Jarrett Martin Drake, a doctoral candidate in social anthropology at Harvard. Jarrett was one of the original founders of the Harvard Prison Divestment Campaign, HPDC, which was born in 2018 from a school project he did with one of his classmates examining Harvard's investments in prisons. He has also worked on the Legacy of Slavery in Maryland initiative at the Maryland State Archives and penned many publications related to prison abolition. Thank you so much for joining us, Jared. 
So just to start off with the basics, what is an endowment? Like, what is it used for? And how much do we know about Harvard's endowment? So an endowment is similar to an enigma wrapped inside of a riddle, inside of like a puzzle. I might be messing that quote up. But all of this is to say an endowment is quite the difficult thing to identify. So the best way that I interpret an endowment is not only is it like a set of financial instruments, an endowment in a lot of ways is like a promise that an institution makes to like some group of people. So the Harvard Endowment, which you know is valued at any point right now in the $40 billion range, it's not just like $40 billion like in the treasure chest. There are some large sums of money in various chests, but it's not all just a lump sum of cash sitting somewhere. An endowment is sort of intentionally structured as a diverse set of financial instruments that allows an organization or an institution to perpetuate itself into the future and guarding against all sorts of volatile changes in society or in a market. And how forthcoming is Harvard about exactly what they're investing in? Do they give out specific numbers in a certain industry? The Harvard Endowment is quite, what's the best way to put this? Secretive would be too generous. Of the roughly $40 billion, slightly above that now, the Harvard Endowment is valued at really at any point in time, there's only about $600 million of that endowment that is publicly disclosed in detail. And I know to some listeners, they may hear only $600 million. Again, thinking proportionally, this is a fraction of a percent, around 1% to 2% at any, at any given time that the Harvard Endowment is disclosed. And of the portion that is disclosed, that is the portion that the Harvard Management Company invests in what are called securities. Securities are tradable financial assets, such as investments in the stock market. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission mandates that these types of transactions must be publicly disclosed in a 13F filing. Harvard's most recent 13F filing disclosed about $1.8 billion in investments. Per their website, the Harvard Prison Divestment Campaign seeks to divest, quote, all of Harvard's holdings in companies that profit from the prison industrial complex and reinvest in companies disproportionately affected by mass incarceration. Jarrett, what exactly is the prison industrial complex? How is it defined? So the prison industrial complex is an overlapping set of financial interests, criminal justice interests, criminal justice in air quotes, court agendas, and the confluence really of so many different private and public interests in the commercialization of punishment. The prison industrial complex is comprised of everything from the increasing commercialization of bail to surveillance systems to the weaponry used by prisons, jails, and police. And not only police in the municipal sense that maybe we see at different points on the news, such as the New York Police Department or Chicago Police Department or LA Police Department, but Customs and Border Patrol is a police agency. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, is a police agency. And they all do billions and billions of dollars collectively in contracts. According to the NAACP, the criminal justice system is largely driven by racial disparities. 
Despite the fact that the rate of violent crime in the U.S. has fallen by about 20% since 1991, the number of incarcerated people has risen by 50%. And while 32% of the U.S. population consists of Black and Hispanic Americans, these two racial groups make up 52% of the incarcerated population. This means that Black Americans are also five times more likely to be incarcerated than whites. And each layer of the criminal punishment system gets progressively more racist and racialized, right? So when you look at the people who are sentenced to death by execution, those numbers are intensely racialized. It is determined by everything regarding the race of the person convicted and the race of the person against whom the harm was committed. But there's also death by incarceration, otherwise known as life without parole. Life without parole sentences are, again, disproportionately handed down to Black people who are facing charges that otherwise, if the so-called defendant was not Black, they would not be facing those charges. It's impossible to understand the nature and the scope of the prison industrial complex without understanding the class-based operations of these systems. So that's what the prison industrial complex is. It's so many of these different financial and business arrangements around the process of punishment. And the challenge that we in the Harvard Prison Divestment Campaign have tried to confront is how do we like try to narrow down some operational definition that we can explain to people and that we can try to like cross-reference with Harvard's investments. In 2019, University President Larry Bacow estimated that $18,000 of Harvard's publicly disclosed endowment is invested in the prison industry. The $18,000 comes from five companies, including CoreCivic and GEO Group, which are the largest and second largest private prison operators in the U.S. Harvard's most recent 13F filing states that the university has $10,000 invested in the private prison industry. HPDC, however, alleges that number is more in the ballpark of 3 million. This is because they employ a more expansive definition of the prison industry, which they say includes, quote, federal, state, and local governments, weapon manufacturers, bail bondsmen, analytics and surveillance technology manufacturers, financiers, pharmaceutical corporations, telecommunications companies, and police and guard unions. Before the pandemic hit in early 2020, HPDC filed a lawsuit against the university over its ties to the prison industry. The campaign alleges that Harvard had violated its charter and made false advertising claims. The lawsuit focuses on a few different threads, one being Harvard's responsibility to its donors. And so there's like this provision that law students who were sort of core organizers in the campaign found in the Harvard Charter. Jarrett and the other plaintiffs in the lawsuit all donated varying amounts of money to Harvard. This was because there is a provision in the Harvard Charter that requires the school to adhere to the will of its donors in regards to its investments. This was a move that was made in response to a lawsuit regarding fossil fuels. And the court found in that case that the students who filed the lawsuit didn't have standing because they were not donors to the university. Another major count was for transparency in the endowment because, again, so far we have mostly spent um, our time looking at that sliver of a sliver of the endowment. And then another important count was false advertising. Harvard has 
taken many pains in the last five years to say that it is reviewing and sort of reflecting upon its connection to chattel slavery and that like these ties are historical. According to Jarrett, the lawsuit wanted to challenge the claim in court. The plaintiffs alleged that the university still continues to profit from the immiseration of Black people, Indigenous people, and other people of color with these investments. Therefore, Harvard's prior statements of reflection are part of a false advertising claim. If Harvard truly, as it has stated, wants to confront its previous well-documented investments in the system of chattel slavery and the transatlantic slave trade, then it cannot deny that the prison industrial complex has an inextricable link to systems of chattel slavery. A Massachusetts Superior Court judge accepted Harvard's motion to dismiss the lawsuit in January of 2021. According to Massachusetts law, only the state's attorney general can challenge how Harvard manages its assets, and also because the plaintiffs did not assign conditions on how the university can use their donations, Harvard can use their donations in whichever way they see fit. The judge also dismissed the charge of false advertising, stating, quote, whether Harvard's investments in private prisons and prison-related enterprises deepens Harvard's ties to slavery is a subjective opinion, and that, quote, plaintiffs are free to advocate that Harvard should do more to demand divestment and to urge others to draw a connection between slavery and modern incarceration policies, but they have not stated a legal cause of action. For the moment, Harvard has won in court, but that's not uh, by any stretch of the imagination where this will necessarily end. Over the past four years, HPDC says it has encouraged affiliates to contribute directly to communities that have been impacted by incarceration. There have been a number of different strategies that we've used to pursue this. One is in hosting events where we are joined by people who are either currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, and we got money from different parts of the university to pay them for their time. I mean, this has been very difficult because we're not a registered student organization, very much in opposition to the university. HPDC has also created the Justice Reinvestment Fund, which reroutes alumni donations to families and communities impacted by incarceration. Yeah, those are just examples. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what Harvard has invested in the prison industrial complex. But I think the literally thousands of dollars we've been able to reroute to people over the last few years has been extremely helpful. So some people may look at the demands that the Harvard Prison Divestment Campaign has made and say, well, those claims are inconsequential. They actually don't materially move the needle on the economies of caging and confinement. To which I would respond, be that as it may, if it won't move the needle, if it doesn't make that big of a difference, then why don't you do it, right? That's always the the sort of like, you know, oh, well, it's not really making an impact. Okay, we'll take it out then. And I think the reason you see that resistance is because people recognize the important symbolism, right? Symbols matter. They are not the entirety of the story. They're not the end-all, be-all, but they matter. And I think that the university administrators who have the ability to make this move, and to be clear, they do have the ability to make this move, I think that they're, they're worried that, uh, at what this would symbolize. I think that it would symbolize an actual material alignment with statements about supporting struggles for racial justice. And I think on the front of symbolism, Harvard is much more concerned with appearing 
to care about racial justice than actually caring about racial justice. How many statements in the last year have we been emailed from the president of Harvard uh, expressing some conflict and, and, and dismay about the state of racial injustice in the world? And he has had the ability for really his entire presidency to meet these demands, but he hasn't. So I think that there's a sort of careful negotiation of like brand management that Harvard has been cognizant of. Uh, but again, I really would be curious to know how President Bacow or, or Bill Lee, who's on the board, I'm curious to know how they would answer that question because I, I think they would be hard pressed to because there's really actually no good reason. But again, that doesn't mean that we're gonna stop fighting because sometimes the most provocative questions are not the ones that get answered, but specifically the questions that don't get answered. And if there's nothing else that I'm really proud of, the many people who've been organizing within this campaign have done, it's put a set of questions on the table that allow us to look at ourselves as a university, as students, as people in the world and ask, is this something that we accept? Is this something that we endorse? And by and large, I've been really happy to see that there are a lot of people who, upon reflecting on those questions, have been like, nah, this, this is not something that we stand for, and we're going to try to fight for something differently. This series is hosted by Raquel Cornell Uribe and 6Q. It's produced by Laura Dada with music by Dash Chin and art by Madison Shirazi. Thank you to Bianca Tylek and Jarrett Martin Drake for joining us.